Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have such an important topic for all managers that's motivating your sales reps and what works and what doesn't. Our expert today is Sean Stuttgart, who will talk about, again, this important topic for all managers. Sean has been with certainly the best companies within mortgage banking. He's currently with Loan Simple. He's senior vice president. And prior to that, he's had many years as head of production. At one time was with US Bank. So thanks, Sean, for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we're excited on this topic because this is really a topic that every manager always asks about and talks about. And so, but before we kind of hop into that topic, let's talk a little bit about your career and how you really got into managing and and share with us your business career. Well, like a lot of people in this business, I started out in sales, the very basic ground floor level, learned how to do uh, consolidation loans was my entry point in this business. And I've managed to touch a lot of different positions along the way. And what was, from the sales perspective, this whole issue of managing? When did you get your first managing position? I got my first managing position probably in the mid-90s for a mortgage lender in Phoenix. Got promoted from being an an originator at the time. And, you know, a lot of industry practices at the time, and even now, they tend to promote, you know, the best sales officer and move them up, which... At that time, I was, and I took over a branch, a retail branch. We had, a, I don't know, 20, 30 loan officers at the time. And when I was a loan officer, you know, we were the lowest producing retail branch out of the group I was with at the time. I had taken upon myself really just to try and be creative and find a few new ways to generate leads. Uh, you know, like a lot of different sales jobs, there's not a lot of, you know, a lot of direction. You have to learn how to self-start. And that's probably a strength of mine. So after a few months of originating, I got a call to come to the corporate office. And it's actually pretty amusing. I'd gotten my first commission check at the time. And a lot of companies, you know, promised uh, that you'd make six figures if you did, you know, all their little basic steps. And, and, you know, a lot of that was kind of a sales gimmick to try and get people on board. At the time, I really didn't listen. I just figured if I worked hard, I would have some good results. I got my first commission check and it was $18,000 and I, I literally thought it was a mistake. I uh, looked at the check and I went and got my fiance at the time, who's now my wife. And I had to show her this check, you know, show her it was $18,000. And, you know, that was all the money in the world to us at the time. Then I got the phone call literally at the same time saying I had come to the corporate office. So I, I assumed that it was a mistake and I must've done something wrong or, you know, I, I had a myriad of thoughts at the time just really didn't know what was going on. I went to our corporate office. They had relieved my branch manager at the time of his job and sat me down and showed me a list of numbers and metrics measuring all the loan officers in the company at the time. And a lot of that was stuff at the time I had never heard of, you know, like pull through and, you know, lead conversion ratio and things like that. He asked me, says, uh, Sean, can you tell me what you're doing different? And I looked at the list and I realized I wasn't in trouble. I saw my name at the top of the list and I, I gave him a very honest answer. I told him that uh, I'd love to tell you I'm a genius and that, you know, I have all the right answers. I said, but I literally just come in in the morning and I work. I put in an honest day. I work extra hours and a lot of guys come in at 10 and leave at 2. And 
I'm here the whole time. And he, he chuckled at that, but he told me, he says, uh, I'd like to offer you the branch manager position. He goes, you get three months to turn this thing around. If you can't, you're, I'll fire you and find somebody else. And that's how I got started. Wow, what a story. So what was the best advice that you ever got on this whole managing issue? And were there books that you were really particularly enamored with and, and were important to you? Kind of talk about what was the advice that you were given to manage? Well, I, I, I am an avid reader. I grew up, uh, everybody in my family pretty much is prior military. So I've I've kind of had a little bit of guidance from the, at least the military perspective in my family on leadership. Uh, I grew up on a, out in the country on a farm and, you know, you, you learn quickly to lead by example. A lot of times there's a lot of different management styles you learn, you know, along the path. So I, I decided that since I didn't think I had anywhere close to all the answers, I've I probably go through a good two or three books a month still. More recently, I've read uh, Jocko Wilnick's Extreme Ownership, which is sure. That's a good book, and I, and I've I've met Jocko. He's a very impressive individual. And then I've read a variety of sales books and techniques, like Sales EQ is one of the more recent ones. And I take nuggets out of everything. You know, there's such a long list of books, it's hard for me to tell you the you know, which ones I started with. But one of the best mentors I ever had uh, was my very first uh, sales management job. We had a guy who was, um, you know, he's funny enough, you know, I was going to say he's an old guy. He's about my age now. But, you know, I was in my mid, mid to early 20s at that point. But he said he was a, he had been a car salesman and he had sold insurance and done all kinds of different stuff. And the best thing he ever gave me was uh, don't prejudge. And at the time, you know, I was, you know, a young guy coming up. I thought I knew everything. And. He schooled me quite a bit. There's a, several examples where I had prejudged. And I really wish I could come up with the name of the book, but I read a book about prejudging. And it talked about how it's ingrained in our, our psyche. You know, We don't have to look at a warm frying pan to wonder or be concerned that it might be warm. We don't just grab it to test it. You know, We take a look at it and examine it before we grab it. And that's prejudging or prejudging whether or not it's warm. And the guy took a great deal of time really kind of leading me through a lot of different perspectives. And the, the biggest takeaway I had from him was that this is more of a mental game than anything else. You know, everybody tells me it's a numbers game. I think it's probably more of a mental game than it is anything else. And you got to work on your head and your perspective more than anything else in this process. Well, yeah, they're all great points. And I guess that leads to my next question that it sounds like the mental game was the secret sauce that, a lot of people miss. Why don't you talk a little bit more about that? You know, when, when I grew up, you know, everybody was expected to, you know, both do good in school, work, you know, we were in sports, things like that. And I discovered I was not always the most talented person at everything I did. Uh, but probably the saving grace for me is I typically will give more effort than everybody else. I'll kind of outwork them. That, that really sounds like a, a simple philosophy, but it doesn't take any talent to work. Doesn't take any talent to put in more effort and try and improve your skills and pay attention. I've seen people that I thought were truly more talented than me, but they just didn't put in the effort. And I think it was because they thought they were that much better than everyone else. So mm -hmm. funny enough, maybe it's because I wasn't that great at things that made me better because I put a lot more work into it. Well, they're great words of wisdom, really. It is interesting what you're saying, and I see it myself 
often where the people that should do well don't do well. And a lot of times it does come to this whole issue of they haven't really put the effort in. And our business is not an easy business. And if you don't put the effort in, it's not likely that you would be successful. Well, that brings me to the topic that we're talking about today, which is really motivating your reps and what works and what doesn't. And you've spent a long career managing people. Why don't you talk about you know, what that means to you? In our industry, it's tough. You know, we meet people all the time that we think, you know, our, our first prejudging moment is going to be, God, this person's going to be terrific or this mm-hmm. one's going to be terrible. And we're, you know, we're right a fair share of the time, but we're also wrong about whether we want to admit it, probably an equal share of the time. But I think one of the hardest parts about our job is it being a commission job. A lot of the time people think that it's their time. You know, they don't have, they're not holding themselves accountable. And as a company, sometimes we don't always hold them accountable. One of the, for motivating them, you know, I, I typically like to bring people up as opposed to tear them down. Mm-hmm. There's a, a style of leadership where people want to really, you know, be little embarrassed, you know, try and drive them by, you know, criticism. And I really haven't seen that be very effective unless you're trying to drive somebody out. I really try to work to people's strengths. I've seen people that were just absolutely terrific at dealing with first-time home buyers, but they could not deal with a more affluent borrower because they just they just had a difficult time relating. They were mm-hmm. you know, whichever it was. And so a large part of what I've tried to do is find what works for people, expand on that, and then if we just improve some parts of the weak parts in their game, we kind of get a, we get a lot better that way. So Sean, how do you figure out? kind of what is their strength? Why don't you talk about what process you go through when you're you know, having a conversation? Because sometimes originators can tell you a strength and it really isn't their strength. God, that's so true. You know, sometimes I think the first thing they tell me is their strength typically is their weakness. <laughs> right, right. I don't, I don't know why it works out that way, but I think you're trying to you know, hide your weaknesses by covertly going around them. But usually, you know, these things will expose themselves with time. You really have to pay attention. And that's our, you know, one of the holes that we have is we hire people in mass numbers and we just, you know, sink or swim a lot of times. I think everybody that I've worked with to tell you that I, I spend a great deal of time communicating with people. And I think communication is the mm-hmm. probably the most important aspect of it mm-hmm. in, in any form of leadership. In my opinion, if you're, you don't make wild assumptions about, you know, what they can do. And, and what I mean by that is we'll take a small piece of information and we'll make an assumption that that's their weakness, no matter what it is, because we'll project our own weaknesses into that. My example was uh, early on in my career, we had to go and meet with a bunch of builders. I really was uncomfortable at the time with just walking up to the door and cold calling and walking in. I had a whole problem with that in myself. So when I was a manager, I assumed that everybody had that problem. And it took me some time to realize that not everybody had that problem. That was a me issue. All those things come up with more communication. And the key part of what you said is when you talk to originators, you have to gain their trust because in order for them to completely confide in you and be honest, they have to believe that you're not going to, you know, attack them for their weaknesses, that you're genuinely trying to help them get better. That's a challenge. 
Oh, no, it, no question, especially every manager is under pressure about producing X and meeting certain goals. I mean, there there obviously is outside pressure for sure. So do you start this identification of strengths and weaknesses during the interview process and then it just continues? Or is this something that is really once they've joined you that you go through a certain process? When you interview them, you're going to have your own. Everybody has their own set of questions that they use. Mm -hmm. and they adjust from time to time and sometimes you can identify weaknesses or you can get kind of an idea you know with experience we have you know we assume as experienced managers that we can start to recognize these things in advance which uh, you know we should be able to at a certain point but then it just comes with hands-on experience with these people that I really think that if you get somebody who's truly invested themselves into the process and they really want to be successful, they're going to be honest with you and they're going to want to be better. If they're, if they're not really, you know, sincere about getting better, that's pretty easy to identify and they usually don't work out any either. Very true. So it sounds like a lot of what you consider your motivation strategies really is centered on identifying their strengths and supporting it. Is there anything else that you do? A lot of it's attitude. People tend to create their own glass ceiling very easily. If you call, you know, the tone of voice is so important because a lot of what we, a lot of our communication time is going to be on the phone. If I'm having a rough day and I call and I'm, and I'm, I've got a negative manner about me on the phone, people pick that up. It, it makes for an abrasive call a lot of times. I try to give everybody as much positive energy as I can when I'm talking to them. Mm -hmm. I try to uplift them. I try to build them up. Sometimes you just need a little, that's, sometimes that's the push in the day to get somebody out the door. I know it has been for me a lot of times. I've been fortunate to work with some extremely intelligent, positive people. I've had my bad days where they've called me and I've taken a negative tone and voice completely in the wrong direction. I've, uh, it's deflated me at times. So I try not to do that to anyone else. Yeah, that's really a good point. What about from a key practice standpoint, what is one of your strategies that you keep coming back over and over again through managing, and of course you've managed in a lot of different places. What's one of the things that you, is kind of your holy grail? That's a good question. I really think that my holy grail is very simple. I like to encourage people and I like to try and work to their strengths, but I'm also very hands-on for those that are act that, that want it. Probably should try and re-explain that. If you've got somebody that isn't that is very motivated and working hard and doing a lot of good stuff you spend your time with them you try and help make them better you try and be you service them you know loan officers are are, are really kind of our customers in this line of work i've often said the dog the tail wags the dog in this business you know if we can't keep our our good salespeople happy and moving forward um, and we're not reachable and that's probably my my top thing i'm reachable i've worked for a lot of different companies where different levels of leadership, you could send emails, texts, telephone calls, you know, you could do smoke signals and you're still not going to reach them. If, if I, I, I send texts right away, if I'm on the phone, I answer emails right away. It's not a matter of days, weeks or whatever before I respond to people. They, they, I get their, I give them my, my attention right away. Well, that's another great point. And again, I think you made an excellent point about there are some managers that really don't interface with their employees and kind of make the assumption, hey, you're on commission, 
do it yourself. And that's really obviously doesn't work for sure. Any last thoughts about what doesn't work? I mean, we talked about communication, being accessible, working to their strengths, all great points. What about what doesn't work? What have you tried and you just found it did not work? A lot of people, including originators, want to find a way to put things on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's kind of looking for the holy grail of lead generation or of sales mm-hmm. or of management. And really what that holy, holy grail is for them is not having to do anything. The, mm-hmm. the best originators out there still do the most basic things. They meet mm-hmm. with realtors. Um, they meet, you know, they make phone calls. Uh, they shake hands. You know, they go out there and do the same stuff that's always typically been successful. Right. And when you're managing a team, everybody would like to have a team that they didn't have to, you know, put forth any effort on, I suppose. Uh, But that's just not reality. So bottom line with what doesn't work, it sounds like centered on it. This isn't an easy business and you can't go on cruise control, whether you're a manager or an originator. Is that fair to say? That's that's exactly how I see it. And and you can't be negative. You right. Know, every, most people out there, they want to be successful. They don't take this job because, you know, they want to do bad at it. Everybody wants to do good at it. If we're good leaders, we need to find ways to help them be better at it. That's for sure. Well, we only have a few minutes left, Sean. Do you want to summarize some takeaways for our listeners today? I think attitude and, and just attention to detail goes a lot farther than about anything else and being accountable, you know, to your team and for yourself. Well, they're great points and I can't emphasize them enough. I agree with you hundred percent. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to our podcast and certainly look for our next one. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you very much.